0: What's up, everyone? We are joined by a special guest today. We have Danica Bateman on the show. She's a product of Dalhousie University, where she studied commerce with a major in marketing management and completed three work terms uh, in the co-op program. First with Excel HR, Syntax Strategic, and finally with Canada Post. Those internships landed her a marketing strategist position at Versature, who is now known as Net to Phone Canada, a cloud business uh, phone service provider. And she spent almost three years there and has been through a big acquisition. She'll probably agree that in her time there, it was one of the biggest projects where uh, she got to take part in a rebrand to net to phone. Uh, Danica was promoted last year to marketing automation manager at her company, where she holds the keys to Salesforce Pardot, one of the biggest marketing automation platforms on the market. She's certified by Sumrush, HubSpot, Google, and she's also a lights out brilliant copywriter. Danica, thanks so much for logging out of Pardot a bit today and chatting with us.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
2: Let's, uh, let's jump right in. There's an age old debate around marketing. Should you get a formal degree or not get a formal degree? You went the formal degree route. What are the things that you think that can be self-taught that were useful in your first role that you actually didn't get in your degree?
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the university degree was really great for, you know, developing soft skills like public speaking, communication, teamwork, those kinds of things. But you know, aside from a few acronyms and some dictionary definitions of marketing terms, like every tangible skill that I have has been acquired like on the job. So um, that's why I tell when I, like anybody who who's looking for an entry level marketing position um, in their career career search to always pursue the greatest learning opportunity. Yeah. Um, because yeah, every, everything that I learn now has been self taught or. Um, I have a really great team who, who is willing to teach me their ways. So,
2: What about the other side of the coin? Like, is there anything in, in school that you picked up that you felt like, you know, looking back was, was, is applicable to what you're doing today as a, a, an automation manager?
1: Because automation is really technology specific, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, it, it's been super applicable. Um, aside from any sort of strategic stuff I do, um, some of the content... Um, pieces that, that I implement in our automation strategy. I I would say that, you know, some of my communications courses were really helpful for, but otherwise Mm -hmm. automation is sort of its own beast that really has to be tackled outside, outside of the educational institution.
2: So what should be taught in university these days for people who are thinking to be, you know, the next Danica in their, in their organization?
1: (laughs) I think there should absolutely be university courses around current marketing technology, you know, Google Analytics or Google Ads, um, those types of platforms are, are so um, sought after, especially for, you know, entry-level marketing um, marketing careers. So I think there should be courses that aren't just about, you know, the, the strategy side of it, but some really tactical, tangible skills are, are required nowadays for anybody who's looking for a marketing career. So I think Putting those kinds of of platforms or having some sort of marketing technology stack course would be really valuable to students these days.
2: Mm -hmm, For sure, I yeah, I definitely think that's something that we've seen. Talking to other guests as well as like the hands on experience, like there's nothing that can replace that in, in modern marketing today.
1: Absolutely, that's what was so great about Dalhousie University is that within your program you have a mandatory co op, so you know you graduate with three work terms and you can either stay with the company um for all three terms or you you can explore different uh different organizations which is what i chose to do just to get you know the broadest range of experience that i could but it's really about that hands-on work experience that will will teach you everything that you need to know into going into your first career whether or not you enjoy your experience it's all a big learning opportunity Mm -hmm.
0: That makes a ton of sense. Like in, in those work terms that you did, like, did you, were you presented with like marketing technology or did you kind of discover that once you, you hit um, like versature, you kind of saw it in the work terms before?
1: Yeah. So every company that I worked for had their own like CRM systems and their own technology. So it wasn't necessarily this broad marketing technology that I was working with, but um, a little bit of like graphic design help here, a little bit of WordPress there, um, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I would say that th- those work terms were, were really critical in helping you determine what you liked and what you didn't like. And I thought after my first work term that I would, or before my first work term that I would maybe want to go into finance or accounting. And as soon as I hit that yeah. sort of spreadsheet, I was like, absolutely not. So um, I think that's where the, where the work terms have been really helpful.
0: So talk, yeah, talk through a bit like that, the moments, maybe if you remember, like when, when you were like discovering like parts of marketing automation, maybe, and you like started telling yourself like, Hmm, like maybe I see this as a potential niche. Um, I enjoy this work a bit more than like the, the spec stuff for finance, like bring us back to, to, to those moments. Like, do you remember when that was?
1: So marketing automation didn't really come to me until, you know, a year ago, but, um, before that, when I was looking at different career paths, because you know I, I was doing a commerce degree, which is so broad—you have accounting and finance and HR and marketing—I just thought was like the most interesting. It it involves psychology, psychology and um, graphic design and communications, and I just thought it was the most the area that you could exper- experience um, experimenting the most with. So I, I thought it was just a lot more up my alley. I think when you go into any sort of university program, you realize quickly what you like and what you don't like and um, where your talents, your natural talents sort of lead you to. So that was sort of my, my big clue into, into the world of marketing.
2: One, one question that comes to mind just from the intro itself. And I think for a lot of listeners, like who are coming up to their first big promotion, like what does the before and after picture look like when you're promoted to a marketing automation manager position? Like what did you feel like were the 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 benchmarks or goalposts that you had to hit before? And now what are the goalposts that you're kind of measuring yourself against to get to that next level?
1: Yeah, so marketing automation wasn't a role that we had in the company beforehand. So, um, and we can go into it a little bit as we talk about, you know, sort of rebranding and the bigger projects that I've worked on. But um, about three weeks after I started at uh, what was then called Versature, we were acquired by a company called Netphone. And... um, with that acquisition came a lot of resources and more investment, specifically in the marketing team, which is great because they, they saw our value. And because we were growing our team and we were, you know, looking towards this rebrand, there was an opportunity to have this sort of role for marketing automation. It had always been something that we sort of implemented in campaigns, but we never had somebody really owning the Pardot platform. It had been through so many hands in like the 10 years that we've been leveraging it. And it was just this like dated graveyard of old campaigns and files and leads. And it was just this absolute mess. So as we sort of approached the rebrand, we figured that there'd be a really great opportunity to have a role for marketing automation and after working in this sort of specialist role for two years. And I I felt as though my learning curve had kind of plateaued and I was looking into different areas that I could uh, niche myself in. So whether that be Google ads or analytics or SEO, um, I I was looking into really developing this niche skill set But I was worried that in doing so, I would forego all these other parts of marketing that I really loved, whether it be, you know, graphic design or um, communications. So when my director came to me with this marketing automation opportunity, I I didn't even really realize what it was. But as I sort of got into it and I learned from mentors, Phil being one of them, um, I realized that it was sort of this all-encompassing marketing career, you know, Mm -hmm. you. It involves strategy, it involves communication, and involves graphic design. So that's sort of where I came to be with the marketing automation role. And now that we're you know a year into it, it's been a lot of playing around with Pardot and sort of mastering that platform, which can really be quite the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that we've implemented all these drip campaigns and these nurturing campaigns and lead scoring criteria and now we're just sort of looking at it from a holistic perspective and seeing what's working so it's been really exciting so far just being able to experiment with everything
2: yeah that's such a cool journey I, I I'm I say all the time that I think the pathway to becoming a modern CMO certainly over the next 20 years is going to be through automation and operations backgrounds like a little bit more technical of a blend with that in mind, though, I don't think many people set out in kindergarten to say, "I want to be a marketing operations or a marketing automation manager." Like, I don't think that's what you're thinking about when you're putting the play doh together and looking at, you know, thinking about standard careers. But I think there's a legitimate career here for people. We've had a number of guests who are on the show who, you know, use it to jump off and do remote work and, um, you know, digital nomad lifestyle. Plus, the pay's pretty darn good as you continue to accelerate in your career. Like. I guess for people who are listening, who are on the, the other side, who are in the specialist position, what skill sets do you look for uh, that you would recommend for people to start cultivating now if they're making this this leap over to, to automation and operations?
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Anytime I tell anybody that I'm a marketing automation manager, they have this like nice blank look on their face. <laughs> and God forbid I say I work with email marketing because everybody loves you know that term. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... It's a relatively technical skill set. So you have these, you know, Marketo or HubSpot or Pardot. So if you want to go into marketing automation, those are kind of tools that um, you'd need to tackle. And it's while they are like relatively expensive platforms and it's not like you could just sign up and learn it on your own. Um, they do have a lot of really great resources and webinars that you can check out and just see if it's even something that would be up your alley. Um, and then there's other, you know, skill sets too. You're, you're writing emails. And so you have that communication side and um, you need to look at the reports and the KPIs and the metrics and see how those emails are performing. So you need that sort of reporting uh, and like analytical side to your head. And then also coding is, is a great tool to learn. And um, I am not a technical person whatsoever. Like my iPhone update is like four years old by now. And I refuse to, you know, learn any new technologies. But um, all of these things I was able to to catch on to pretty quickly. And when I saw, you know, the back end of this like HTML and I was learning it, I was so overwhelmed at first. But um, I think it's safe to say that, you know, the more you you work Within these programs, the easier they are to to acquire the sort of skill set. So, uh, it looks pretty intimidating, but um, once you get into it, you can definitely excel within within this role.
0: I love what you touched on there like um uh, like you do need to be like somewhat technical to like learn the tools and understand like how everything works together but i i, I talk to a lot of marketing students who just like assume that marketing technology and marketing analytics is kind of made for software engineers people that can code and marketers are kind of just more on the creative side like like writers and graphic design and they kind of like work with those engineers. And though that might be the case in, in bigger companies, when there's like that subject matter expertise, like someone like yourself that doesn't have that technical background was able to like learn Pardot. Like you mentioned, it's such a beast of a tool and like no company is using it to its full degree, but like you like learned the ropes in, in Pardot from, from the ground up. And so um, I think that's that's super cool and kind of the journey there. But uh, I think like something super interesting to unpack for our listeners that are maybe thinking, you know, like I'm not like a software engineer. I don't have like a coding degree, but I'm interested in marketing technology. Like walk us through a day in the life of Danica. Like you, you get up, you start working right now. You're, you're working remotely. I know like um, companies, maybe like more hybrid as things are, are starting to open up a bit, but like, talk to me about like the people you work with, where are you collaborating? Maybe touch on some of the projects, but yeah, like just curious, like if you can just like shed some light on that.
1: Yeah, that's the cool part about marketing automation is that there is no, you know, typical day to day, but, um, I, I would say I wake up, check my emails, look through the onslaught of, uh, random emails I have, and then filter that with, you know, I look through all of our leads that we got over the 24 hour period and make sure that our drip campaigns are running smoothly and looking through our CTRs and, um, looking through all the analytics for uh for resources that we had sent out through our automation platform but i also run the content strategy at niche fund canada so um, i'm working really collaboratively with a lot of people on our team and not just our marketing team but um, we're doing some more um, projects with the client services so because we were such a small company you know three years ago we were about 30 people and we were growing pretty quickly but um, nothing was automated. Nothing on the client services side was automated, and I think it took a little bit of buy-in, and it's still taking buy-in from people who are so um, attached to their role in, you know, putting people manually and um, pairing this client to this onboarding specialist because of their personalities. And while that's really great and uh, leads to, you know, some really great customer service, there is something to say for automating that and having that be like a really smooth process. So um, right now it's uh, a lot of collaboration with different teams and seeing how we can implement automation, not just within marketing and for, you know, MQLs, but how we can connect with clients through automation, how we can um, give everybody a a better experience. So that's been our sort of recent projects. And um, as we're sort of a year into this and we've um, implemented a lot of a lot of cool drip campaigns and um, did a lot of stuff since we rebranded. We're just sort of looking at our revenues and seeing how we can tie um, revenue to marketing automation just as another way to prove the value of automation in, in this role.
0: Very cool. You mentioned a lot of things that are like segmentation, drip campaign, lead scoring. I remember like when we first started chatting about marketing automation uh, a few years ago, like there was so much to do in the tool and in the fresh instance that you were kind of starting off with. Like you're inheriting like some stuff, but there was still like a lot of things that uh, were kind of low hanging fruits that you could kind of like build from the ground up. So, like, walk us through like how you prioritize that work like how did you kind of like scale it in there like there's probably like five like segmentation areas you can do for drip campaigns but like if there is no drip campaign right now like you don't need to start off with five like how did you kind of scale that with um like the from the ground up basically
1: yeah. So with this rebrand, we kind of thought of it as an opportunity to create a blank slate. So okay. um, the first priority was, you know, rebranding all of our automated emails, whether that be somebody submits a support request or um, somebody downloads a white paper. That was the, the main responsibility is rebranding all of that and making sure that we have those in the right places. Um, and then we sort of got into um, these drip campaigns. So with all of our public-facing content, we did a big content audit and um, threw them into different funnel stages. So there's, you know, uh, blog posts that are are more within the awareness funnel, or blog posts or case studies that you know would be more in the consideration. So we created these uh, two bigger, more holistic strip campaigns that follow along those funnels. And it depends on where people submit their information or what kind of resources they're looking for, um, where they'll sort of fall in. And once they are in there, um, they'll go through our lead scoring criteria. So that was a big project that we did with our sales team. um, And we haven't really implemented any sort of automation rules to enable the lead scoring to go directly to an SDR yet, just because we're still figuring out if it's working, what pages we need to tag people on and um, how that score should increase or decrease based on those sort of activities. So that's where we're at with it now. Um, it's just so funny to see what people do on your website. You know, you think it'd be so obvious to, you know, <laughs> tag people or, or increase their score based on X, Y, and Z criteria, but then you see all these crazy form submissions for stuff that you would never um, think somebody would even be able to access your website from. So um, it's definitely been an interesting ride with, uh, with automation so far.
2: It's one of the fun things about being an SEO. When you do some crawling on websites, you find these backlinks to places that you had no idea actually <laughs> exists on your website. Right. And then you and then you go in and you look at the lead scoring model and you're like, wait a minute, where did you come from? And then, the, you know, we end up in this in the permanent cycle with sales of leads are crap or we don't have enough leads. Um, talk us through like how the interactions with the sales team look like. I joke a little bit about that sales is, you know, mm-hmm. that, that old uh, adage of, you know, not enough leads or leads are crap kind of scenario, but like, what does that look like for somebody who's, who's looking to transition into a role like yours?
1: Yeah. So sales sort of the relationship between automation and sales. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I take a lot um, from our sales team. I find that they are a really valuable resource, especially in terms of um, the content strategy, just because they're the ones talking to customers. I have very few client facing meetings Um, where I have that opportunity to ask what kind of resources they're looking for. So it's more from a content perspective where um, I find that their input can be really helpful, uh, whether they have a lot of clients asking for a resource about like moving or um, if people don't really understand what VoIP means from like a very holistic perspective. So that's been a really helpful in determining what kind of content we need to create Mm -hmm. and who to send that out to so that's been a relatively good relationship so far and I know that there can always be a contentious relationship between sales and marketing based on quality of leads or them not actioning the leads properly in the way that we see fit so um, so far it's been very good and yeah I'm really happy to have their input with anything to do with content.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the opportunity for for smart folks like yourself who are in these automation and operation roles is to bridge the gap between sales and marketing. Like, sales and marketing are both like deeply incentivized for the same thing, which is money. Money's green, so figure out together how to figure this out. But you see it too often where they're at they're at odds with each other for for really actually small things and and perceived slights. So uh, I think that's a really smart advice for for our listeners to to talk to the sales team, get that customer facing information and. Put that into your funnel and build an automation engine around it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Danica, how have you found like, um, cause I know like you started working with the sales team and, and the rest of the org, like pre pandemic and, and a lot of that work kind of shifted to, to remote and you started like needing to collaborate with folks a lot more as you're like building more stuff in Pardot. Um, so maybe talk a bit about like the remote collaboration with like a, a bigger team that's kind of scaling at the same time. Like how, how did you manage like all the fires that were kind of like popping up like Slack email, how do you keep a handle on everything?
1: Absolutely. It's so strange to see our like staff extension list being updated almost every day with like new people and new names and new faces and saying goodbye to people that, you know, I had known for so long. So um, it's been a really interesting experience. And I think anybody within this sort of remote world can attest to um, it being a a little bit difficult, but um, I try to keep everything as open as possible and, and be a resource to anybody who's joining and I can only imagine how difficult it is onboarding remotely and having all these colleagues whose face you've only seen on like a 13-inch MacBook. So um, I, I try to to be as collaborative as possible and anytime I, I come up with, you know, ideas for content, I reach out to um, all of the, the managers on our teams from different departments and they have been very helpful and providing me with resources on their own team, people I haven't met with, but who might be a really helpful um, person to talk to. So that's been really great as well. And our team and our managers have tried to implement some of those, you know, social events on Fridays. We have Cocktails with Craig, who's our, our sales manager. And um, we, we've tried to get together in those ways as well. But Um, Yeah, it's been one of the biggest challenges of remote work is just how to collaborate and meet new people because everybody on our team, regardless if you've been around for three weeks or 10 years, you know, you have some insight and you can be a huge help, especially to our marketing team and for our content. So, yeah.
0: Very cool. I love that. Um, I was actually chatting super quickly with uh, your director Marissa before uh, we got you on the show, and I asked her like um, to to give me two funny stories uh, that I should oh, ask no. you about. And uh, along I hope the she didn't bring that... up
1: the Christmas party. <laughs> no,
0: Didn't say the Christmas party, but she told me to ask you about the themed quarantine party nights with your parents during the pandemic.
1: Oh God, that's even worse. <laughs> Yeah. So I've been staying with my parents um, during the pandemic. I'm actually making a big move across to the UK soon. No way. So cool. with uh, the pandemic, I just figured there's no point in signing a lease. So <laughs> it's just been me hunkering down with my parents. And we, uh, we got up to some weird stuff during quarantine, but we had these like theme nights where um, everybody created like this one specific dish and everybody chose like food and we would decorate and we would play like music that like related to the theme and we would have like cocktails so um, we did a big diner night where like I made sliders and my dad made onion rings and my mom made like boozy milkshakes and we like decorated with my dad's old records and um, we did a Greek night and we did like a Spanish night but yeah, that's uh, mildly mortifying. Now that it's on public <laughs> it's, record, but
2: it's 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 all good. We've we've all had to survive the pandemic. I know Ricky Martin, The Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys. This has all helped <laughs> me get through it. I have two young daughters, so dance parties are many. So I'll share. I as love well.
1: it. Bringing the like '90s out to your kids. That's
2: you, great. You got. I'm a '90s kid. You gotta you gotta live back there. The music was just better then.
0: Those are yeah. awesome tips. Like you, you got to find some, some bonding ways of, of doing that with your family, but also your team, right? Like we, we talked on the, the, the kind of remote sales team once you're not in the office. Um, but the other thing that Marissa mentioned, this is like pre-pandemic, I'm guessing when you guys were moving offices, she told me to ask you about the trip to Ikea.
1: Oh Yeah. So uh, we were sort of growing our team and um, we split the offices between uh, people who are on the phones all the time and people who, you know, were on the more quiet side. So marketing and dev went into this one office and um, we were tasked with decorating. So um, one Friday afternoon, we had two cars going out um, to Ikea and we uh, stopped at Milestones for lunch, maybe had a drink and uh, made our way to Ikea. And on our way in, um, there were like feathers and blood all over the place. And we were, you know, we were just like talking about work and our lives and we we're just sort of going in and then we didn't realize, but there were police officers putting up like caution tape everywhere. And we're like stepping in this like full on crime scene because there was a stabbing that happened like 10 minutes before we got there wow. as we are just looking for some like couches and some picture frames to put up. But <laughs> Yeah, that was an interesting afternoon.
2: Uh, wait a minute. Feathers? The big bird uh, got stabbed?
1: No, so it was not quite, um, but it was in the middle of winter. So it was like through somebody's winter jacket. Uh, uh, I
2: thought
0: yeah. someone got into yeah. like a pillow fight gone wrong or something. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think that would probably be more entertaining than a stabbing. Jeez. But yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting, and nobody told us not to walk there. We just sort of walked right through, and then we we're like, what was that?
2: <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Those are crazy stories. So we always end with this question for our guests. Um, so we want to know and, and get your advice and just your hot take on how do you, uh, you know, balance both success and happiness in your career and, and in your life and advice that you can share to our listeners and, and to us, honestly?
1: Yeah, great question. I think the thing that has brought me like the most joy in the last few years both in and out of work is like surrounding yourself with the right people um people who are are invested in your success and want to see you grow and thrive and i found that with um my current marketing team i'm just surrounded by like the most incredible people marissa included she has been such a great director and has helped me grow in so many ways, both inside and outside of work and um, having a supportive family and a really great friend group. I think um, that is sort of the secret to to being happy in life is just being surrounded by positive people and um, bringing that positive feelings and vibes sort of back to them.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show and sharing your positive vibes. It's been an mm-hmm. awesome talking to you and uh, finally meeting. And I think our guests will get a lot of value out of the wisdom that you're sharing here today. So, so thank you for coming on.
1: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. This has been fun.